in today's episode. We are all prepared to detect all the fraudulent activities as always. This is actually the first industry I've ever been into. One dollar due to fraud and actually it costs you almost two. We decided to join forces and launch a crypto exchange. There, there was always something weird with the email address. We decided to build an in-house tool. What's the difference between Sion and any other providers? First of all, platform needs to be industry agnostic. So Sion would like to be. Do you expect in the next five years it continue to increase or we will see that some of the company like going closed and their journey going to stop? It's quite tough for raising new rounds. It's, it's just getting harder to play in this industry. There was, you know, 2,000 euro worth of charge, but they maxed out the daily limit of my card. What skills are necessary to be a COO? I would say first and foremost, I, I have to put myself in the shoes of the customers. I can tell like a number of our customers are still, I don't have aspirations to work anywhere else. I would like to build the best possible fraud detection company. It wasn't me uh, alone. Hi everyone, welcome to the new episode of the podcast A Journey into Fraud Prevention. I'm your host Ivan, and this episode I'm joined by Thomas Kadar, who is COO at Sion. Let's begin. Поехали! Hi Thomas, how are you today? Hey Ivan, very well, thank you, and yourself? Very well, thank you. And is it any difference this Friday compared to past one? Because today is most favorite in the fraud industry Friday. Yeah, definitely we had to gear up for the incoming volume increases. So exciting times, definitely different Friday than the previous one, but we are all prepared to detect all the fraudulent activities as always. I can expect and the next February day is Monday because it's like Cyber Monday. Yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. Let me start with a very simple question. I start all my episodes with these questions. Fraud prevention. What is fraud prevention for you? So, you know, as per the definition of fraud prevention, basically keeping businesses safe from fraudulent activities. And why is it important to me is I really believe that ensuring trust and safety in online transactions is a key priority for any online business out there. Otherwise, you would have a really hard time to recover from the losses. So I also have a personal connection to the topic. I'm really passionate about protecting customers and businesses uh, as well as online. Yeah, we're going to touch later on about uh, how you actually joined this industry. Just follow-up questions about like fraud prevention or trust and safety or cybersecurity. Generally speaking, they're kind of all the same. They have some differences between, uh, but do you think the fraud prevention is only about financial losses or it's like any other major impact in this industry can be covered? It definitely has a major impact for sure. So I would say that if you're a fintech company and unless you take care of fraud prevention, then you will probably go under very soon. So, you know, fraudsters can find exploits and leverage those loopholes in the protection of an online business, especially fintech. So it's definitely really important but also, it's possible to keep it at bay. So, you know, if you implement the right processes, tools, and the team in order to protect your business against fraud, then you can minimize the losses and the impact on your business. Thank you for more exploring answers. It's uh, very important to hear that one from you. And uh, how long have you been in the industry? 
Yeah, this is actually the first industry I've ever been into. So right after university, we started our business and I'm involved uh, since the last almost seven years. Oh, seven years. A long period of time, specifically for the past, I know, four or five years, it's a lot changed. The game changed a lot. Yeah. When you just like first joined the like fraud prevention industry and when you're looking back, do you see it's like a huge difference and uh, it's still ongoing uh, innovations in, uh, in the fraud prevention industry or it's like pretty the same if we uh, not include, for example, COVID, two years of COVID? Yeah, I would say that, you know, the ultimate purpose for fraudsters stay the same. So to try to gain as much money in the shortest period of time as possible. So their intention and the reason why they are committing these actions is the same, you know, to, to gain something in terms of monetary value. So what I would say the difference is how well businesses are prepared. When we started, it was completely different. So many, you know, businesses didn't have a proper solution in place. And, you know, as they've been a victim of fraud more and more often, they have implemented some you know, tools, processes within their business to protect them. And fraudsters also got smarter. So unless they have improved their internal arsenal, the watches to protect their business, they have seen increased losses. Like fraud is evolving and growing and affecting more and different businesses and also more individuals in, in different ways. It's not just credit card fraud anymore, you know, account takeover became a thing. And then, of course, scams, you know, phishing, social engineering, they're all part of the wider picture. So I would say that, yeah, fraudsters are still trying to do the same thing and businesses are getting more and more prepared, but as well as the losses are increasing generally. How I see this one and just like want to hear your opinion about my thoughts. So... The knowledge about fraud is growing for the like, past several years, for sure. And also fraud, like fraud prevention, become more and more a discussion of revenue. But before, everyone tried to remove it from discussion about like revenue. They say, yeah, it happens, but we don't want to keep it as a main metrics because it isn't important. And nowadays, everyone, specifically for everyone who accepting I know credit cards is a great example. They say, yeah, we need to consider this one because the fines are huge. Damage is uh, really hard to recover. Yeah, yeah, I would say it's, it's not just the loss of the goods and services that you give up to fraudsters. And there's a lot of different types of connected costs like human element, you know, the cost of your team, cost of your tools, cost of disputes, and it all adds up. So I've seen some studies and when you lose one dollar due to fraud, then actually it costs you almost two. So the impact is much higher. And, and you're right about more businesses are realizing the magnitude of the problem. And they also put it as uh, you know one of the KPIs into their balance scorecard. When they have a team, you want to keep your team accountable for uh, the KPI they're working towards. And it's becoming more uh, and more as, as a key metric within you know, online businesses to actually keep as low as possible. And, and the whole fraud 
detection and risk team joint effort is actually to decrease this percentage-wise loss as an impact of the revenue. Yeah, everything about money nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Nothing changed, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned you coming to the industry in uh, right after the university. Could you share why you decided to join fraud prevention path? Like what was motivation, the story behind it? Or it's like you just randomly decide to join and stay here? Yeah, it wasn't random. What happened essentially is during my university years, my co-founder is still, but was as well as back then, a good friend of mine. And we decided to join forces and launch a crypto exchange. And we wanted to accept the fastest form of payments, which was credit card. So when we went live, the payment gateway integrated on the side. During the first week, we have lost uh, quite a big sum of money due to fraud. We didn't know anything about fraud. We didn't know it exists. Uh, but we started to research the topic. We looked into these transactions and decided to also have a look at the market, what solutions are available. You know, And what we've seen is actually most of these providers really enterprise focused. So they haven't shared much details about their product and features on their website. Also, the pricing wasn't published and the documentation neither. So we saw that these providers couldn't really cater to such an early stage business like ours. And we were thinking to implement an ID verification solution, but we also realized that it's not a bulletproof solution because on one hand, it's really expensive. It can cost up to two USD to verify an ID or a passport. And as well as uh, fraudsters can just buy from the dark web stolen scans of passports and IDs to bypass these measures. So it's not bulletproof. And as well as it's friction during an onboarding process. So when we investigated those transactions we have seen in the beginning, we came to the conclusion that you know, there, there was always something weird with the email address, let's say, you know, it's a disposable one, or they haven't had any profiles attached to it. We have seen that the IP was bogus in many cases. They used a VPN provider or proxy. So we said that, you know, there must be a way to actually, you know, completely invisible and friction-free way assess the risk of the client's transactions. So we decided to build an in-house tool and then... As we spent more and more time discussing the tool and uh, the features with other potential uh, users of it, we have realized that it could be a great B2B uh, SaaS business uh, if, we, if we create an API platform. So that's when Sion was created and that's when we started to work on it uh, full time right after university. Amazing story. Thank you for sharing with us. And uh we can jump immediately on one of the questions like, like, Sion, we already know what the story behind it, how it was created. It started as like some approaches in your company. And after this is grow to separate business. And right now it's B2B company that's mm -hmm. uh, providing fraud prevention solution, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Very simple question. What's the difference uh, between Sion and any other providers? Yeah. First of all, as I've mentioned, we when we investigated the other tools, we saw that they are not really tapping into data sources that we thought are very valuable to detect uh, risky behavior and customers. So most of the providers were using the customer's data. And when you launch an API call, you put details about the customer in there, and that's just not enough to 
create the most accurate decision-making model. Like you wouldn't want to outright block, you know, different type of patterns based on a simple set of data points. It's not just, you know, a gel location, user agent data, looking at the item and, you know, the BIN data, you need much more. So we decided to build a tool which has most in-depth, also the widest range of data points available real-time based on these invisible collectible data points. So that's what we've decided to call data enrichment uh, based on the digital footprint and that we can analyze in a completely invisible way of the clients or customers. So our purpose was to create a tool which provides the most data points, like thousands of data points about someone's email address, phone number, IP, and device. These data points can be found at any online business. So we said that the platform needs to be industry agnostic. We wouldn't want to tailor it for one specific industry. If you are letting customers on board and it's important to you to have the highest conversion during onboarding and the lowest cost for onboarding new customers, but also you want to prevent fake accounts to be opened or customers opening multiple accounts is, is a problem, then you need a tool which can assess these data points real time and with an algorithm that's the most accurate possible. So that's what we have invested the most resources into. Uh, our R&D team now is over 120 people and all of them, I mean, most of them are working on actually this part of the business by leveraging these publicly available data points that anyone can look up online. When we started to work with, let's say, KLM, we saw that their analysts, when they manually were reviewing a transaction, they were copying, pasting data points like emails and IPs into different sources, social media networks, to try to build a profile to draw a conclusion whether they are genuine customers or just you know fake users using brand new email addresses or proxies. So we said that, hey, we can automate all this. We can put everything into uh, one single API, which is easy to integrate, by that, we also mean that we decided to adopt this so-called product-led growth fashion. So anyone can open an account. We also have a freemium model. They can look into the API docs, the knowledge bits of user manuals. So it doesn't really need to involve a human who could assist you to uh, leverage the platform. And as well as, you know, what we have realized is that there are really like three types of companies in the space. One of them who are providing this chargeback guarantee model which is great, but it's mainly useful for retail and e-commerce players who don't want to deal with fraud at all. They would like to just outsource it. So those providers are more providing like a, a black box type of classification and uh, you cannot really alter the model. Although they do provide a guarantee on the decision they, they do, but we realized that there is some of controversy or, or conflicted interest in it because then these providers would actually block more legitimate transactions and customers compared to white box providers because it's their interest also not to pay out on semi-fraudulent transactions. So the false positive ratio is much higher. And then there are providers who are more based on the risk engine. So they let their customers to tailor the rules and you know manage cases and tap into third-party data sources for data enrichment that's great but also like those providers have stopped innovating lately they got acquired by some large companies and we haven't seen much development neither in 
data sources they use, but as well as how flexible their rules engine is, and as well as they have fall behind the whole machine learning slash AI uh, development. So they haven't really have invested into those. Um, and then there are providers who are like single data source providers who tells you, you know, whether an email or a device is risky or not. But the market is really going towards to either be a data source or an orchestrator who does everything. So Sion would like to be an orchestrator, would like to be a platform. We would like to cover a complete risk slash compliance stack for our customers. We don't want them to use a number of other vendors in order to mitigate risk. We would like to be the single source, which is great because today everyone would like to consolidate as well. So they would like to use one vendor for one tool. And, and you know, there's always some overlap between these vendors. So really are investing today into becoming a platform like a single source of truth and all-in solution, like a real platform. Thank you for describing. It's uh, a lot of information, uh, a lot of information to process. Uh, first of all, I want to say, I jumped on the site right before our recording, and I really like one of your features that you actually, I don't know how, how it works, but from human perspective, I really like it when you just can enter your personal email and getting information mm-hmm. where your email used. And I realized I have uh, my email that I signed in long time ago, still it's company with elephant on uh, on mm-hmm. the icon yeah i forgot what the name of the company but maybe. yeah yeah <laughs> i just realized i need to close in this one mm-hmm. i really like i know how it's work it's brilliant i would say i just want to hear your opinion so the number of providers for preventing fraud increased for the past let's say five years a lot maybe double do you expect in, in next five years it continue increase or we will see that some of the company like going closed and their journey going to stop? Yeah, I can see today the market is quite tough for raising new rounds. And, you know, during COVID, it was a boom. So new startups have been created. So uh, I'm not sure if this uh, pace will keep on going or whether there will be some slowdown. Potentially, we can see already some form of slowdown. It's, it's very hard to launch a company. You know, there are some big players out there and they're also providing similar services. So to compete against them, you need to have like, you know, a large team, a well-functioning product and, you know, came to the product market fit as early as possible in order to raise the next round and grow even bigger. So I, th- I think that there are some niche sex- sectors where there is some, you know, room for um, new players to uh, become part of. But... What I can see is that, you know, it's becoming more of like a red ocean. So it's very hard to stand out with a set of new features. Like it's really noisy out there. So when uh, you are, you know, like an analyst or a decision maker in risk or fraud, then you look at, you know, 10 different vendors and, you know, you, you cannot really tell the difference between them. If you just look at the product features, running an RFP is becoming challenging in this industry because everyone tells you that, oh, they do everything. But when you have to drill into those features and capabilities, you might realize that on the surface, uh, it looks good and they might do something you want, but in reality, it doesn't really work or doesn't solve your actual problem for a specific use case. So I really think that we have to you know, wait probably like one or two years to see whether the market will be still like so lucrative like two years ago. But in the last two years, there's definitely some form of a slowdown. I think it's still a big problem. So more entrepreneurs would like to solve this problem, 
but at the same time it's it's just getting harder to play in this industry as a as a new player because you don't have the traction you don't have the the trust because you're a small company you just launched so definitely it's challenging and it was challenging for us when we started but fortunately with hard work and a clear vision we got to a, a solid point in europe i can tell that you know we are i would say the largest for detection company in in the us we are still not the largest one but I think very soon we will be. I just want to say good luck in your journey. I believe you're going to achieve it, specifically of the vision. We're going to return to your position in the company in a bit. And I just want to break down a bit with this simple question. Have you ever been a victim of fraud? Yes. Yes, I was. Yeah. Is it some uh, crazy story behind it? Uh, something you can, you flexible to share? So I was traveling in Latin America. And what they do there in many places, like the same in the U.S., they, you know, take your credit card and, and use the post terminal in another place where you don't see what they do with them. So I was, you know, using my normal credit card. And then a couple of weeks later, I woke up. I have already returned back to Europe. And then there was, you know, 2,000 euro worth of charge, but they maxed out the daily limit of my card. Fortunately, I got back the money, but they have used my card since it was originating from a European issuer, you know, there was like uh, 3D Secure 2.0, uh, so strong customer authentication, but they used at sites where it's not enabled. So as, you know, a payment gateway, you would like to have, and as a merchant too, you would like to have the least amount of friction, the highest level of conversion to minimize churn. So they use my card deliberately in places which they knew that, you know, there won't be any uh, one-time passcode or uh, multi-factor authentication implemented. Uh, I got back the money, so I was fortunate, but not everyone is in the same place. So my takeaway is, you know, when I travel to less reliable places compared to some countries, like, you know, like in North America or Europe, then I will just use like a, a travel car. Like, you know, I have like multiple credit cards now, and then I, I'm going to just like increase limit when I'm in these countries and then use the card there. And I'm going to like decrease the limit almost to zero when I'm, I'm not traveling and using the card. Uh, and that's like the best solution you can have, you know, as long as internet payments, credit card payments work in a way where you can just enter a bunch of characters uh, from the credit card itself, which can be physically visible, then you can be victim of fraud very easily. Fortunately, I haven't been uh, in any, any other cases, but I've, heard about many different stories like there is a lot of different ways how fraudsters can access your your wallet and, and steal some of your money yes it's uh, still actually uh, one of the most popular things when someone just going somewhere in the restaurant take your credit cards going somewhere and do some manipulation behind it yeah. i believe the second popular it is atm fraud yeah. you know when the put the machine in some public places and collect a lot of credit card details. It's still very relevant. And uh, what you mentioned about like all these uh, controls in place, I recently back from holidays and I travel in, in the States with my British credit card. We tried to book a car and uh, the lady swiped my card and it was declined. And when I checked my application, say uh, the magnet line disabled for your card. And I realized that I haven't used magnet line for a long yeah. time, maybe three years. Yeah, they're still using this one, and that's what's really like scare me. I need to open application and uh, enable this feature. That's like <laughs> something new for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Europe is ahead, you know, compared to the US in this case. 
I think using the chip or the contactless methods through NFC hubs with tokenization in order to avoid your car being skimmed. So, you know, skimming is the type of fraud you've mentioned that can happen throughout the ATM scams. But basically with these, you know, like skimming machines, they just steal the card number and they can create a, a copy of it. They can use it for you know, online purposes. Although like many ATMs don't allow you to use just a magnetic strip on your card, you know, if your chip doesn't work, they won't accept it because they know that it can be a cloned card, which can be used, you know, on, on these machines. But yeah, it's, 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 it's still a thing, especially in the US and other countries where they haven't adopted yet the chips uh, or, you know, NFC type of uh, payments. And that's why, you know, like Apple Pay or Google Pay are so secure because it's also based on the NFC chip. So there is some tokenization. I prefer to use this one. I know a lot of people in the industry who say Apple and Google Pay, they are not secure uh, from some instances, but compared to uh, Magnet Line, they are. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's it's not secure in a way that, you know, when they have access to some banking app, then they can create like new cards at, you know, at some now banks or normal banks quite easily and they can add to their own wallet uh, within the device and, and, you know, still drain the money from your bank account. But as a customer, and if you use your own car at different places, then it's it's very secure. Yeah, the main outcome for everyone who listens, if you travel somewhere, just create another car just for travel. It's yeah. like much safer than using your day-to-day car. Exactly. And if you back to, to your current position as a executive director, if I'm not mistaken, uh, in the Sion, mm-hmm. first questions, quite interesting. What skills are necessary to be a COO in a company with, with fraud prevention? I would say first and foremost, being customer obsessed. So you have to live and breath your customer desires and needs for a product like this. You cannot ignore them, but also you cannot only listen to them. You have to understand the vision and, and, and you know the direction you have to take. So everything needs to happen from the, from the customer perspective and point of view. You, you have to build a product which actually helps them to solve the problem. You, can, you cannot build a product that is not based on customer development. You have to enhance it with your own ideas, but then you really need to listen to your customer. You have to invest in the best possible customer care so you can have you know, a very good experience from the customer perspective. So that's number one. Number two will be determination. So it's very hard to grow in this industry. It takes time, you know, <clears throat> sales cycle are probably longer than for some other providers. And, and you know, the, the solution is complex, like the systems and tools that can help to detect and prevent fraud are complex because it's a complex problem to solve. And you need to have real determination to, to solve the problem. You have to invest a lot of time, energy, resources into make this happen. Yeah, that's the second most important. Right. I already started writing this down one day. <laughs> I don't know if I am able to be a CEO in any companies, but it's uh, really great to hear. And um, you mentioned that you need to be aware about your product. So I guess you're time to time testing as a customers, uh, how it works from customer's perspective when some of the companies integrate with CEO. Have you ever tried to using the credit cards with a new company to check how your solution works? If it's any delay or if you can figure out that's your solution in place, is it yeah. some kind of tricks here? Yeah. Every day, like, you know, I, I, I have to put myself in the shoes of the customers, right? Like that's one of our values as a company being customer obsessed. 
I'm checking every day all the customer feedbacks and notes and, and requests, you know. I am I'm investing a lot of time into creating a complete picture of the customer sentiment and, and the direction of the product and the vision. And the business strategy based on this needs to be tailored to actually fulfill the needs of the customer to cover the whole stack of risk and compliance from the customer perspective. So, so yes, you know, I've, I've, <laughs> I have... Uh, every time we have a release, I, you know, like test the features. I, I even, you know, in the planning phase and scoping phase, I'm working closely with the product managers and the CPO. Like I'm a product guy, you know, I'm not a sales guy. So, so that's my strength, really. I, I try to invest as much as possible in this uh, topic. I believe your R&D team after every release, just like sitting somewhere and, okay, he's going to be test us. I hope we're not, not going to be declining his transaction and it's supposed to be very smooth. But if it happens and they go on this, you may also just like, all right, not this time, but <laughs> some countdown happens. Yeah, 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 sort of, sort of. They're not stressed about it, let's say, but it's good to have, you know, some level of awareness of, of the situation. I don't mean they, they're stressed. I just say, from my perspective, I believe it's a great approach. Specifically, you a little bit more, I know, spend time to check something before you release and they give you like extra options maybe to grow your products or maybe fix something because you know if someone from uh, C-level gonna check the business they definitely reach out to you so what's mm -hmm. the reason to deploy something which is bad yeah. if you can take extra time to fix it to deploy something good of course of course you're correct what is hardest things in the fraud industry in the general specifically on your position we understand it's like a lot number of competitors right now in the markets. What other things it is, I know, quite curious, actually. I would say, you know, fraud is evolving and you have to keep always one step ahead. And if you are building a tool which is industry agnostic, you have to know the different needs, desires of different industries, you know, use cases within the industries. Um, so you actually have to tailor the algorithm. We have machine learning capabilities within the platform, but it's really challenging to convince the customers to actually rely on automated decision making. You know, when you sell a tool like this to end users, so fraud analysts, they would like to protect their job. They would like to supervise the rules and the algorithm. They would like to fine tune it, tailor to their needs. And, you know, some cases it leads to underutilization or overutilization, but it's due to the human element. And then in other cases, when we sell to decision makers, their vision is to, to focus the team resources on being more efficient. They don't want to hire two times uh, of the people they have if their volumes goes up by two times. They would like to have you know, better tools, processes, and more automation. And in order to get there, we have to get like feedback. Every time there's a decision by soon, we have to know, you know whether if it's a false positive or a false negative so we can you know, retrain the model and sometimes that's missing because it's hard to get information about the actual outcomes. So in order to get those data points back, uh, we have built a number of features, but it's still like, I can tell like a number of our customers are still like pretty much in, like involve a lot of human steps and manual intervention in terms of how they use the product. And I think we are going to a direction where we can invest more into automation. So their job is safe, but as well as it's not efficient in many cases, you know, there's 
some you know overlapping activities or there's like some processes above and below of our tool set so we really need to become the glue between these end users and as well as decision makers and other departments so we don't want them to use excel sheets or you know other like crms meanwhile they investigate one transaction our product should be the single source of truth to make a decision and also it should collect all the post-transactional data in order to retrain the model and provide the best possible suggestion and adapt to the new fraud patterns as early as possible. Thank you for, again for this uh, very described way how you answer on these questions. I, I really like it, really appreciated this one. If you target to fraud prevention, I know you don't like how this change, you don't like that uh, some new way of fraud happens. Do you already have any ideas where you're going, any particular path, maybe companies, maybe you have a dream company, you really want to be work, I know, be, be a new uh, CEO of Microsoft or Google? No, I, you know, like we don't have, as of now, like an exit strategy. We don't want to be acquired by a large company. For now, we grow healthily, we grow fast, and we would like to possibly take the company public at some point in the future. I think we still need to do a lot of work. We have to hit our milestones in the next couple of years. I don't have aspirations to work anywhere else. I would like to build the best possible fraud detection company, like a single go-to solution for any businesses out there. And and you know that's a big big task. Like that's that's a, a huge challenge. So there needs to be a lot of work done in order to get there. But you know for now, I think we have a clear vision picture. Of, of this roadmap to get there. And we do our best and the team is is super agile to make this happen. So I'm really grateful for for every contributor to our success. And, you know, it, it wasn't me uh, alone. Like it was it was the whole team, especially like the exec team, the leadership, and of course the ISIS too. So we've been, we are rowing into the, uh, in, the, in the same direction, which is the most important thing. As like a career path, I think fraud detection is a great industry. It's evolving and growing, and there's still a lot of uh, to be done. So, I would really suggest everyone to to join this industry and 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 you know make the world a safer place from fraud. So that's on the journey we are uh, on as well. And I think we are just you know getting closer and closer together. Possibly we won't even we won't ever make fraud eliminated from the world, but we can do our best to minimize the losses, as I've mentioned in the beginning of uh, the conversation. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, it was one of my future questions, uh, if you recommend to join fraud prevention and where is the get answer? Yeah, I have last one question because what I understand from uh, our call, you have, you spent a lot of time with the Seon and I believe you're pretty busy, but I believe everyone's supposed to be, have some uh, work, work-life balance. And mm-hmm. uh, how you like actually like relax uh, out of this work that's mater- that's help you to energize yourself and the next day back like on the fight area and and continue working uh, in the way how you work. Yeah, I do a number of things. So I practice Thai box slash Muay Thai, which is similar to fraud fighting, but I'm I'm fighting with real humans, but you know in a in a friendly way. And you know I, I take every day a trip to the sauna helps me to release the toxicity that I, I collect throughout the level of different challenges as well as, you know, the, the different, like, it's it's not easy to be a CEO. Like, you always get the worst of the worst. Like, if, if something is going well, then probably don't have to invest too much time in it because, you know, that's that's on a good trajectory. But things that not doing well is going to 
you know, keep you awake. And I think it's good to just relax and meditate in, in, you know, 100 degrees for 15 minutes to let it all out. And then I can, you know, keep on going. Like that's, that gives me a lot of dopamine to, to make this happen. I, I like to spend time with my family. You know, we, we will have a new member of the family soon. So uh, we're expecting uh, a daughter in the next five weeks. I'm going to be a dad, which is super exciting. And I hope to uh, spend some time. I mean, of course I will, but hope to spend, you know, as much time as possible with my future daughter. So that's super exciting. And I'm looking forward to welcome her in this world. But yeah, I think you, you need to have a balance. You know, if, if you don't exercise, if you don't have good social connections, it's easy to burn out in any job. You don't have to be the CEO to burn out. You can be, you know, an IC, you can be just a regular employee. If you don't balance uh, different activities in your life, then that's not going to end up well. So it's, Obviously, like it's a roller coaster to be an entrepreneur, and there are some ups and downs. That's part of the journey. Like that's how how we learn. That's how we how we evolve. I would say that, you know, if I would uh, go back in six years, uh, I would be able to give uh, myself a lot of useful advices. But I also enjoyed the the ride to get to this point. And you know, I, I believe in forever learning. So I look at everyone like a mentor to myself. I'm I'm, I'm super interested to see candid feedback and build upon it. So my team also realizes this and, and they're also pretty helpful to, to make me a better person and, and, and professional. So I, I'm super thankful for everyone around me to give me the positive energy. And, and, you know, like also I can give back the same level of excitement, passion and energy because of, of my team. Amazing. And congratulations. I believe it's uh, in the next five weeks, a lot of change for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah positive for you. <laughs> yes. Thomas, thank you for, so much for joining us today. Uh, it was very nice conversation and a great story. That's why I'm here from you. Thank you everyone who joined us today uh, for listening to this new episode. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for letting me to share some insights and hope it's uh, useful for some people out there. Uh, more than happy to give back to the community. And uh, yeah, thanks Ivan a lot for uh, having me part of the podcast. I'm still very happy that you agreed to join because uh, I don't know, you is one of the busiest guys I know. I'm gonna say my favorite words at the end. It is cut. <laughs>